Welcome to the Rooted Wings podcast. This is the table of the resistance. You are welcome here. Pull up a chair. Hey, Rooted Wings community. Hope everyone is doing very well. I am just about to bring on uh, two guests tonight, and I am so uh, honored to bring them on. Um, I'm going to be bringing on Josh and his wife, Brittany Satley. Josh has been a firefighter paramedic up in LA County, Beverly Hills for a long time. And um, his wife has stood by him through schooling and raising babies. And they, uh, LA County just hit a mandate deadline on October 1st. And it deeply affected Josh and Brittany. And so I'm going to be bringing them on to share with you what this has been like and what it looks like on the ground in LA right now. So I am going to bring him on with his wife, Brittany. Give me one minute. Yeah. Hey, thank you so much for, uh, for joining us, this community tonight. I know that things have been pretty intense up in LA and I just wanna open up this forum to really let you guys share your story and what's happening, what you're seeing and how you got to this very unexpected place up in Beverly Hills. So before we go into everything that's going on, I would love for you guys to just in a nutshell, give us your story. Uh, you are married with some babies. So why don't you, um, why don't we open up there? Okay, I'll do the best I can. Uh, me and Brittany, we've been married for uh, 18 years in January. Um, we've had quite a, a past, I guess, of getting to the point that we're at now. Um, we have four beautiful children, uh, 14, 12, 9, and 7. Um, when we first met, uh, you know, I wasn't a firefighter yet. We were kind of working towards that. Um, but we needed, you know, I needed a job with benefits and stuff. So we got into construction. So like a lot of firefighters, you know, we have, I got into the trades and we started, uh, we started working so, you know, we could support we could support ourselves and have benefits and stuff. Um, you know, from there, I remember we had an opportunity. We we're in church, and, um, and one of these individuals we go to church with, he was a fire chief at uh, Norco at the time, and we kind of saw the writing on the wall with the construction in 2008. And we were, you know, it was a little bit before that, but you can kind of see. I think it was 2006, and you can kind of see like, okay, this, you can't keep up forever. And I wasn't super happy doing that, and I wanted to be a firefighter for, I mean, a lot of different reasons. And I guess we need that later, but. Um, we talked to this uh, chief and he looked at both of us and he said, Hey, you know, Anaheim's hiring and they're paying like a hundred thousand a year. And, and both of our eyes got about this big. And Brittany looked at me and said, uh, you're looking into that today. Yeah. So we, we went home and, and looked into it. And I remember we prayed about it and we came up with a, like our plan, you know, we came up with our plan on what we were going to do. You know, I was going to get my EMT. I did a two week EMT class up in uh, San Jose area. So, that, you know, we just, we dove right into it. I quit my job. We dove right into it. We decided this is what we're going to do. We're going to make whatever sacrifices we had to do. We listed, we didn't list the house. We rented the house out and we, we ended up, just when we say this, we ended up living in a trailer oh. while we were going to paramedic school <laughs> and while we were getting all our stuff done. So we, we, we were sacrificing a lot of the time to get this career um, that we knew was just going to be perfect. You know, I, I wanted to help people. Um, I grew up playing a lot of sports and doing community service with Boy Scouts and so I enjoyed helping people. I enjoyed being a part of a team. And um, a friend's mom of mine was a nurse educator. And she one day told me, like, Josh, you would be a perfect firefighter. You got a great personality for it. You get to help people. 
you have a different schedule every day. So it was so appealing to me at the time. And then Brittany and I obviously knew there's so many other great benefits that come in the fire service. You get this fire family that supports you and loves you that we have come to, uh, we've come to really appreciate and love in these hard times. Um, but at the time it was just amazing. You know, we, we, we loved it. And, and I remember I got my first fire job at an Indian casino, Indian casino down in um, Saquon in East County, San Diego. We were mm-hmm. super excited. It was my first fire job. They were giving me the training I needed. And I was super happy. I remember I called Brittany one day after just like rolling hose and, and the engineer who was training me was like, man, you got a really good knack for this. Mm-hmm. And I called her and I was like, I think I was born for this. Mm-hmm. You know, like I just loved it. I was so happy to do it. And then, you know, fast forward a couple of years and I got my dream department. I mean, I never would have thought in a million years, Beverly Hills would have hired me. Um, but we tested there. I got a job there and every day I would drive in, I just was in awe of this place that I actually got a job in Beverly Hills. And it was, it was a love story with the department and with the city for, you know, almost 11 years, you know, I'll be 11 years, January 3rd, uh, class of 11, you know, my classmates, we love each other. And, you know, it was like, uh, it all changed. It all changed so quickly in, in August that I just can't believe that we got to this yeah. point where we're at now. I mean, after all yeah. the blood, sweat, tears and everything at that place. And I want to um, ask Brittany, when Josh was going through school and uh, you're raising the babies, what was that like watching him go through that, that early part of his career? Um, it was tough when he was in, just started paramedic school, we just had our first baby. And so it was a good distraction for me because he was so busy. So I was focused on the baby and he was focused on medic school and we tried to support each other as best we could. Um, and then you know, I mean, we just worked it out and it was tough, but we knew what it was going to be if we got through it and it was going to be a great career, something he loved to do. I wanted him to enjoy going to work every day and look forward to it. And I knew he would love, um, I come from a family of police officers, so I knew he would love the camaraderie of the guys at work. And so we knew it would be worth that sacrifice in the end. What about your, your kids are old enough to, uh, to be proud, right, of what you do and see you as a hero. So what do you, what do your kids think of daddy being a firefighter? I, I think they, I think they think it's cool. They don't get like super excited to like some kids, maybe it's just like, Oh yeah, dad's a firefighter. We've been in the fire station plenty of times, but I know they love uh, at our department. It was great at headquarters, which is the main uh, station there on Rexford um, for Thanksgiving. You know, I worked a lot of Thanksgivings, uh, Christmas and Christmas Eve, and we would have the families come in and it was a, it was a big family. We'd have all the families come in. We'd have all this food donated. We would cook. And it was an amazing time. Honestly, we enjoyed those Thanksgivings more than we did, like, with the family, you know, with the extended family. We loved it there just because the kids had this opportunity to slide down the fire pole, play with the other kids, see dad at work. You know, we would, we would occasionally have to break away and go run a call or come back. But to the hospitality of just all my, you know, all my friends there, they would just roll out the red carpet for all the families to come in and have coloring books for the kids and just make a wonderful experience. And they always loved it. You know, they always had a great experience there. We always took plenty of pictures when they were there. And I think they really, really loved it and enjoyed it. And, you know, our son Knox, who is nine, would talk about, hey, you know, one day I'm going to work with you there. Hmm. Sorry. Don't make me cry yet. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) Anyways, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's been tough talking to them about what's happening with this and it's something that I love so much. I know every other firefighter in the world feels the way I do about their job. Every single one. I mean, we're all proud to be firefighters and serve the community. We love it. 
And uh, so it's a very, very tough uh, position that we're all in, not just me, but everybody. Well, let's talk a little bit about what, um, where we're at with why you're in this situation now, because a lot of people uh, get confused about what, what's coming down as far as mandates go. And a lot of this audience is outside of California. So yeah. there's some, I think, let's just clear up what exactly happened to take you to the place that you are at right now. Sure. So the LA County uh, health mandate that came down, uh, came down the end of August. Um, it was in accordance with the state mandate, but it was a little bit more restrictive where basically it didn't really exclude very many groups, especially in our profession. It included everyone who was involved with patient care. And if you read the mandate, it also includes everybody who's involved with patient care. So that would mean the guys that would show up at the station to change the towels, right? Um, that would mean the police officers, anybody who touches a patient or is in contact with them has to be either vaccinated or they have to have one of two carve outs. And the carve out was the religious exemption or it was gonna be the medical exemption. Um, at the time we were having a lot of meetings with our chief, he would come upstairs and kind of fill us in like, okay, yeah, we got a mandate coming uh, September 30th. Um, this is, you know, he basically laid it out like that. Um, in the beginning, he was telling us that there was only two religions that would even qualify for an exemption. And that was the Dutch reformist and the church of Christian science. Um, later, obviously, you know, we knew that wasn't necessarily uh, the facts. And so we were asking constantly the chief in any, any meeting like, Hey, well, what's going to happen exactly? Like, what is the clear path here come October 1st? If we don't get the vaccine, like what, what's going to happen? And then it, and, and what about these religious exemptions? You know, it, there was almost a feeling that, there was a discouragement from even submitting them because uh, the association had a meet and confer with the city in early September. And at that meeting, you know, they asked a lot of these questions and uh, I just remember they were very frustrated because they weren't getting very many answers and they were being, um, they weren't really being forthcoming with what, what they were going to do. Our association went in with good faith. They fought as hard as they could and did the best job that they could with what they were given. But still, we didn't really see, receive any clear direction. It wasn't until um, mid-September um, when nothing happened still, and there was a lot of discussion with, with everyone who this would affect, um, we decided that we got in contact with our um, association lawyer, and we drafted up a religious exemption of our own that we signed, and we met it, you know, we met it to the LA County mandate, and then we submitted that um, to HR. When you're saying we, when you're saying we, is that you or is that you and some other guys? That, that was me and about 25 other guys. All who, in Beverly Hills Fire Department. Oh, yeah. Everyone I'm talking about is just Beverly Hills. Uh, we're just speaking about just Beverly Hills. I can't speak to the other departments. And we, so you know, we you created. Get, so you get this executive order. It, it hits August 5th, but then you must be fully injected by October 1st or have an exemption. And then there's some back and forth as to what religions are even going to be accepted. And then that kind of gets cleared up that there will be religious exemptions. Did, was there any discussion on medical exemptions or personal belief or was it specifically religious? Um, we, I mean, we discovered, and when I say we, we had a group of the 25 of us, you know, in a text group. And we would get, we were like scouring the internet to see whatever we could get. And we found a lot of, you know, Liberty Council and a lot of other law groups that were very helpful. And we found that information. And so with deeply held religious beliefs, I know that there was some uh, moral beliefs as well, or ethical beliefs. 
Um, we discussed that in our group. A lot of us, though, were religious belief. Um, a lot of us are um, Christian of one denomination or another, but we all are disciples of Christ, and we all have uh, deep-held religious beliefs of why we wouldn't take it. Um, not to mention there were a couple people that, that did get uh, medical exemptions, um, but from a personal conversation I had with the chief, it was like, you know, they're very hard to get. You know, not, not every doctor is just going to give them out. Um, I know a few were based off of antibody testing. There were many of us in this group who contracted COVID over the last year, and so we have antibodies. Um, and so a lot of us felt like, well, that should suffice, and we hopefully could put that antibody uh, discussion back onto the table um, but it seems like it's just, it, you know, it's just been removed and, and you can't even talk about it. So tell me what happens. You and 25 or 24 other guys get together and you're like, okay, let's go ahead and go forward with a religious exemption option um, because we have very personal held beliefs. And so you draft up a religious exemption. And this is what, where, where on the timeline are you between August 5th and September 30th? Uh, it was right around the middle, September 14th, something like that. So it was right in the middle. And there was a lot of discussion too, like, do we submit these early and allow them a lot of time to, you know, rebut them and say no, or do we submit them when they're required? You know, we didn't really know what to do. And after a lot of discussion and counsel with our legal team, our association directed us and, you know, they helped guide us. Ultimately, you know, they're speaking for the whole of us. So with discussion with everybody, they made the decision, hey, well, let's go ahead and submit, submit religious exemptions about the 14th, which we did. So we submitted them, and it was a day or two later we found out they were denied, but that we had to fill out their form, which they created. Um, and so we filled that out. We all complied and said, okay, there was some, there was some um, I think, some grammatical errors in there. So they met and conferred again with the uh, human resources, the association did. They said, we need to address this, and um, I don't have it with me, but it was a very vague statement at the end, because per the county mandate, if you have one of those two carve-outs, which is the religious or the medical exemption, well, then what you do to be safe is you test weekly, and you wear a mask, right? Well, and, and that... I thought that that was one thing that I noticed on the executive order, and this is made by a county chair. This is where this executive order is coming from, which... I find fascinating that they have the power to demand this. I, it just, um, there is, I don't know if you guys saw it, but there is a challenge that was just, it looks like it must have just been filed today or, the, or yesterday, but five LA County employees are suing over this mandate. And what they're alleging is that this is a complete overreach of power by a county official and that the county must consider and offer reasonable accommodations as a middle ground between individual freedoms and collective rights, which seems simple enough. Like, it, that seems very straightforward and simple. But even on this executive order that's made by the chair of the county of L.A., um, she says that they must provide proof of the injection or, 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 that's key, or submit to at least weekly testing. So you're so at this point you filed your religious exemption you are per this order there's nothing that you're doing that should disqualify you from keeping your job and just like it says okay you have to submit to at least weekly testing it doesn't seem like you are having any problem with that but where does this all start to go very wrong very quickly 
it seemed like it was this last week um, when we submitted our religious exemptions. They said, "Okay, well that's fine, but you have to have a meeting with us now." And it was a straight, it was a straight interrogation. It was with the head of HR. It was with her litigator, and of course we had some representation in there from our attorney's office, which are which is our association. Um, several of us were. On, I was on day one. I think I was third or fourth to go, um, and it was very nerve wracking. Um, you know, a lot of us. Sorry. No, I was say they wouldn't even give them questions ahead of time of what they were going to talk about, and they were told that if they didn't, and correct me if I'm wrong, but right. if they didn't participate in the interview, their their religious exemption would automatically be denied. So it wasn't an option to not, because to me that was like so wrong on so many levels, and I didn't want him participating in that because it was just wrong. But he didn't have an option; it was either that or it was 100% denied. It, it was very nerve wracking. I mean, a lot of us were uh, super nervous. It felt like a violation of our rights. You know, a lot of us were obviously praying a lot about what we're going to do and how we're going to answer and hopefully our answers are good enough. And so we sit down in this interview and it's the head of HR who has sat at her home this whole pandemic from the safety of her home and has been directing the human resources department from email. And all of us have been driving in and working, you know, like every other firefighter and first responder, we drove in and worked and none of us complained. None of us called in sick because we were scared. You know, we kept doing this and here across the desk for me or in the Zoom meeting is this lady who's now gonna determine whether my job, I'm gonna have a job or not in a couple days if my religious beliefs are good enough and she doesn't know anything about me. Or she inter- Yeah, or my religion or religion or in general, religion. in my opinion. So then the litigator gets on and starts talking, you know, and I asked them specifically, well, what guidelines or criteria are you using to judge whether my religious exemption will be accepted or denied? And the HR deferred it to the litigator and she said, well, none. She said, but we do have the right to ask for clarification. So with that said, then I thought I was golden because if there's no criteria, then they're all gonna be accepted. You know, and there's rumor, there's rumor and chatter among all the guys what other departments are doing, family members of guys like, oh, you know, a couple of guys, their wife, you know, their wives are nurses or school teachers and all exemptions got accepted. But, you know, maybe there weren't a couple here. So we're hearing stuff all over the place and we have no idea what's going to happen. And in fact, before I answered any questions, our attorney objected to all the questioning to begin with. But they said, well, if you don't answer, it's going to be denied. So you're strong armed in the interview to to give answers to criteria you don't know and to questions you don't know either well it's it to me it just seems like such an obvious overreach this is a personal your personal religious beliefs being put under a microscope to determine if they are valid enough from some third party to then be justified uh, to be cleared for you to uh, still keep your job it's a, this is like a very weird dystopian web that is being weaved. And it seems like a violation of privacy law. It seems like a complete overreach into uh, your personal freedoms and liberties. I, I, I'm just at a loss. I can't believe that, the, that this is where you're at at this point. That is how it's been the entire time, honestly. Like there was no answers for so long. And then at the very end, they came out with these religious exemptions. And so they filled them out and then it was like, okay, now you have to do an interview. And it was just like one thing after another. And everyone was backed up to a wall because it was coming to the deadline and people were panicking, you know? So they really um, did it in one of the worst ways possible, I think. So you get through, you do this interview and you're, it's full on interrogation. Are they asking you specifics about your 
uh, like what church do you belong to? How long have you gone to the church? What, what, what kind of questions are they asking? Uh, typically, I think for, for most of us, they just asked, well, what, what is it specifically about your religious belief, your deeply held religious beliefs that preclude you? And for me and for many others, mine was my personal relationship with my Savior and my God and through prayer. I've prayed about this from the beginning. I always felt like I shouldn't. And, um, and that really was my answer, you know, uh, to some degree. I read some scripture to them and, um, and they said, okay. And then they asked another two to three times, well, what specifically is it? The exact same thing, two to three more times. And okay, so I tried to explain it again the same way. Um, but ultimately for me, as I prayed about it, and that's how, I, and I told them, this is how I live my life. Um, this is how we live our lives really is that any major decision that we go through, we pray about it. And we prayed about this for a long time ago. I mean, we knew, we knew the way that things were going with the mask mandates, that vaccine mandates were next. I think a lot of yep. us did. We could see the writing on the wall. I'm like, okay, well, if it comes to this, we were talking about this a year ago and what we would do and we'd be praying about it and talking about it and considering it. And when it happened in August, it seemed like it, the temperature got turned up really quick and it just happened so quick. And now we're here. I can't believe that we're even here talking about this. And this is the reality. I know it, it's crazy. It's crazy that we're in America talking about this. Like where did yes. religious liberty go? I don't remember religious liberty having to be checked thoroughly and examined thoroughly by a state, an arm of the state in order for you to be justified in your religious belief. I mean, this is, I, I don't even know how, how, how this is America. It's so you get through this interview you probably are still thinking you're golden because you gave all your answers. Okay, now you've gone through the thorough background check on your religion. And then what happens after that? Well, I will say after everybody's interview, I didn't feel golden. Everyone was like, we felt violated. Everyone was nervous and felt sick to their stomach. And we all knew, like, we thought we all failed. But like, there's no way, the way that that interview went that we could possibly, you know, be accepted on some degree. But I will say the association had a lot of faith after talking with the city and their meeting confers that they were going to accept the exemptions. That was the impression that they gave the association because we had talked to guys and he was super nervous. Like, they're not going to accept it. They're like, the guys in the meetings are saying they're going to accept them. Like, it's okay. Let's just turn them in, do the interviews, and then we're done. And so they were very misleading in that to these association representatives who were trying to work with them and trying to get answers and so they were all thinking and had convert and relayed that to the guys that, you know, we just got to do these exemptions and we're good. So very misleading. So you're probably like you said, so now you're feeling violated, but you're also like, okay, we're through it. We're going to yeah. like on to the next thing. We'll get our religious exemption back to work. In that period. So it was, it was the 28th, the 29th and the 30th. Sorry. So we had interviews. This was in September. Each, oh, September. Yeah. So, so each one of those days, there were several guys having, the interview and after every interview you know the guys would text everybody else and they would you know you know kind of explain that that's how they felt but right after the interviews uh hr came out and said okay great now you have to sign uh, a test attestation form stating that everything you said is completely truthful everything so we sent it to our lawyer the lawyer looked at it and, and he and he changed the wording to add you know that you are signing this under duress and fear that if you don't, that they're not going to accept your religious exemption, which they weren't. They weren't going to accept it unless we sign this. I'm sorry, I can't say the word. Attestation. Yeah, I got you. Yeah. And so everyone, you know, we were freaking out about that, too. Like, well, now they're making us sign this thing on top of it. Right. And then in that time period, too, between the 29th and the 30th, um, John Mears, who's a city councilman, had put out an article 
I don't know if you saw that or not, on the Beverly Hills Weekly. And to paraphrase, in the article, he uh, basically was saying that we were looking for hall passes um, with this religious exemption so that we can just get out of taking the vaccine because we didn't want to. And... <laughs> And that came out the day, the day of them. Was finding, it day of? Day of or day before of them finding out if they were denied or accepted. So that was very telling. Like, okay, obviously they think everyone's lying, and they're not religious guys. They're just trying to get a hall pass. So, so that happened in between. So I mean, it was a long week with all this stuff. Let happening. me just say, I'm shocked that they didn't hook you up to a lie detector. Honestly, <laughs> like with yeah, everything that they made. I can't, I, I, yeah, I would have passed that. I'm um, so angry that you, I mean, we haven't even gotten to what happened with your religious exemption, but I'm so angry that they thought that they, that this is acceptable. I, this is so absolutely mad that I, like I said earlier, I can't believe that this is America and we're talking like th this is what you have to go through in order to prove that you have a deeply held religious belief. Uh, this, this is absolute madness. And then the gaslighting on top of it for, um, he was a, he's a county board county member or city council member. John, John Mirish is a city councilman and former mayor. So for him to then go on and then to just gaslight what you guys truly have deeply held religious, and I know that because I've listened to you speak on this, you have a truly deeply held religious belief, but for a representative of the state, an elected official to go on and to bash you and to act as if he knows you personally and to say that this is just you trying to get out of an injection is so wrong. And I will be dropping his name below in the comments so that people can let him know how wrong that is, because this is unacceptable and it is time that we start swinging back. We can no longer stand by and just think this is all going to get better if we don't engage. This is absolutely wrong and insane. Okay, so you get through everything. He, he puts out his, his hit piece on you guys. Um, and you're about to hear if the religious exemptions have been accepted. There are 25 of you at this point who have filed for a religious exemption. Yeah, well, uh, there's 25 total um, that submitted exemptions. There were four uh, medicals or actually five medicals total. So at this point, there's there's 20 exemptions. There's 20 guys that are waiting for results. And uh, yeah, that day we went to the beach with a classmate of mine, a coworker of mine. And we met up with another family there. We knew it was going to be a hard day. We just wanted to be together and support each other. We wanted to be there for each other for the results. <clears throat> so we were waiting all day. You know, pins and needles. We all knew what was our futures were hanging in the balance. And so the day's going on, and we're constantly checking our emails, and it's all we can talk about. Obviously, it's all we talked about for the last since the beginning of this thing for over a month, and stressed about and worried about. Um, so we went out to dinner, and it wasn't until later that night, um, about 8:30. Uh, eight-ish that we we got the results and we all got it there together and we found out that two of us were denied and one of us was accepted and so we all started getting this information and we were trying to make sense of their decision it was like they just randomly chose pick and chose you know who was going to get accepted and who wasn't there I, I, we, I couldn't make any rhyme or reason out of it it wasn't like these people of this faith were accepted and these ones were denied or um, you know these ones said this or these ones said that they just picked out um, uh, actually, it was eight of us at the time that picked out and denied us, and um, and we were devastated. And I was with friends, and they were devastated. And it was just like instant tears. It was fear. Guys were, uh, as you can imagine, starting to panic because again, there was no clear direction, no policy, 
no procedure that, hey, what happens at midnight if I'm not vaccinated? Am I, am I going to be terminated immediately? They didn't tell us. We, we heard that the city council or that the uh, George Chavez, who is the city manager, we heard that he um, was going to fire us. So that's all we heard. But there was nothing in writing. And Chief wouldn't answer that either. In fact, Chief's email that he sent to us said, you will be um, vaccinated by the 30th. And that was it. Like, it, there was no or, you know. Um, and so, so there was no option for testing or uh, proving that you have antibodies or anything like that. Nothing. The testing, yeah, the testing was only for those that had an exemption. That's so. It. When they said your religious exemption is denied, did they give any reason for why? No, none, no reason. They just said they sent a letter. She said your religious exemption has been denied after I reviewed it. If you feel like you're being discriminated against, you can file a complaint with me. And then the chief says, that's it. So go get the shot. Uh, he hasn't said anything. He hasn't said anything. He wrote one email saying that they needed to be vaccinated by the October 1st. No repercussions. No, you know, what would happen after if you didn't? Nothing. And that was, and then we got that letter. And yeah, and that was it. So then, so then they gave us, uh, I don't know how we found this out, but they told us that we technically had till five o'clock on the first to, um, to be vaccinated or to receive like a, a medical exemption. Right. So, so some of the guys were able to get a medical exemption from their doctors. Um, and then, uh, the other guys went and took it under duress. They didn't know what else to do. They were scared. They thought they were going to be fired. And so they, they went out and, and, you know, found a vaccine and got it. Um, I did not. Uh, it was something that Brittany and I chose a long time ago. We were going to firmly stand our ground and hold the line. We chose not to do it. And I found out, you know, Friday night, I got an email. Okay, you're on leave without pay until further notice. And again, it's kind of question marks. There's no timeline. There's no, if you're not vaccinated by this date now, then you will be terminated. But they have started the termination, termination process. And I have not been... Um, I have not been investigated. I have not been given a Skelly hearing. I have not been given my due process. I mean, for example, if I were to show up drunk at work a week ago, then they would have put me off on paid leave until an investigation is done. And then at that time, you would have a Skelly hearing where you have an impartial judge that is going to, you know, help decide your fate, whether you're going to be terminated or put on, you know, leave without pay. So I went straight to disciplinary action without any due process with the termination looming over my head at some point. And being told that you're 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 vaccinated, you get they're going to talk to you and interview you again, and then you can decide if you're going to be vaccinated. And the answer is still now is no. I'm not going to do that. They might as, you know, I don't know why we're dragging this thing out because the answer is going to stay the same. They either accept these or they don't. The bottom line is this is so very 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 wrong, and I am so angry that this is happening to you and happening to so many others. Um, it's so not okay and people need to know that this is not okay and this is the hill that we are going to have to stand really firm on at this point uh and it's time that we start to act and behave as the resistance because what is happening and happening at such a quickening pace is only going to get worse and the, the consequences from this are going to start to show up why don't you tell us ever since you've been put on this um, disciplinary leave of absence, and it's a 30-day leave of absence, right, that they've given you? No. So the 30, the 30 days is a 30-day exemption that they issued um, every religious exemption. So 14 guys got 30 days, right, to be in, in purgatory because they're stuck. Um, 
waiting for another judgment at the end of the month. They told her, they were told they'll be interviewed and then they're going to decide at that point if they're going to continue with these exemptions or not, which is ludicrous. Then okay, have, so four, 14 guys got the exemption and then they're, are they on leave with pay then right now? Or they're no, also they're, like you? The, no, those guys, those guys are all still allowed to show up at work. However, what they have done is they have segregated crews between vaccinated and unvaccinated and put um, anyone who's unvaccinated and meeting the county mandate and showing up after a negative test and wears a mask on all medical aids, they are put onto a piece of apparatus that will not be in contact with any patients. And that was under the direct direction from the fire chief. The fire chief told me you will not interact with anybody or on any EMS calls whatsoever. So that's why in the beginning of the weekend, we were putting out there, what they were doing was they were saying they had complete coverage over the city. We had the same amount of coverage over the city. That's not accurate. They had everyone there, but they had shuffled the players so that there were a couple engines, engines two and three, that were BLS or downgraded. So they didn't have paramedics on them. Um, their paramedics were all, you know, shoved together on a piece of apparatus that you were, was only going to run, you know, elevator calls and fire-related calls because they were unvaccinated. They took, a, they took an unvaccinated paramedic off of one of those pieces of apparatus and, and stuck them driving a battalion chief, and that's usually an engineer's position. And according to our MOU and constant staffing manual, we always have a medic on every piece of apparatus regardless of the day. We force hire paramedics to sit in those positions so that the, the citizens of Beverly Hills have the, the top-notch coverage that they deserve and that we want to provide. So that was not happening over the first couple of days. And we drilled them hard on that. And they had so many emails and so many calls that what the chief has done, it's impressive that we do have an impact because they, they had to change what they were doing so that they could have that coverage because they were having so many questions into the situation. So what he did now is he's forced hiring vaccinated paramedics to sit in those positions. But there's still several things that are just kind of odd with this whole thing. Um, the vaccinated paramedics, some of them, you know, have only received the first dose. So they're, they're okay to go ahead and ride in those positions when these other paramedics that are unvaccinated are not. Um, not to mention unvaccinated or vaccinated, um, you know, uh, firefighters there at the station, they come in and then we do a self-screening process. So we make sure that we're asymptomatic of any symptoms. We take our temperature, we answer a questionnaire. If you have a cough, a cold, you know, congestion, fever, anything like that, you know, we, we fill that out every morning. Um, and then we go upstairs and then on calls, we would wear a mask, you know, to protect the community. Those members show up and they still do not take a test to show that they're negative and we, I know from experience from, you know, just coworkers and everyone else, and I think it's an acceptable fact that it doesn't stop you from um, contracting or spreading COVID-19. The vaccine doesn't. So that's so what I wanted to, that's what I wanted to ask you is we know that the head of the CDC, August 5th, came out and she said that very clearly uh, this, this injection no longer prevents transmission. It only can maybe help you not get very, very sick. So my question is, what this whole mandate? What is the reason they're given? They're giving to uh, provide safety for the face-to-face -face contact. Why are they saying that this injection is necessary? Because if they're saying it's to prevent any transmission, that doesn't line up with the science. Because the science clearly says that it doesn't to prevent the dissemination of this virus. So what, what are they telling you? Why is this injection so very necessary that they're willing 
to move around all the players and create very unsafe environments under the skies of safety? That is the million dollar question. And all that we have been told is that their hands are tied. They are abiding by the county mandate and they can do nothing about it, nothing. So they're enforcing it, but that is really the furthest thing from the truth. The city of Beverly Hills, um, last year when they were talking about vaccine passports, even recently in a council meeting, um, they were talking about vaccine passports. They said that they did not want to implement any kind of uh, COVID-19 vaccine passports in the city of Beverly Hills because they were worried about it affecting local restaurants and then being able to stay open and recover after the COVID-19. Not to mention, there are a lot of people in our city that do have patient care. I don't mean to do this to the cops because I love them, but at the same time, they do have patient care. Um, but we were the one labor group that they decided to pick on and decided to enforce these rules. And now they have these dr draconian laws that they're inventing on their own with how they're segregating crews because the policy itself clearly states that you're in compliance as long as you are testing negative and wearing a mask. And that's what these guys are doing and have an exemption. These guys have approved exemptions. They're being quarantined and they're being stuck on these rigs that aren't responding to the city. Now, it appears to me as if the city's um, function in this is to give them 30 days and then be able to say, well, we've tried to reasonably accommodate these guys. They haven't been productive and it is an undue burden on us. So we have to remove the exemptions. And now you guys are forced with the same decision, either, either quit, get fired or get the vaccine. So really, and, and we've said this, I think many times before, my wife and I, and a lot of my friends and, and family, and it's always, it, to me, it's always seems like it's never really been about the vaccine. It's never been about the shot. It really is an intrusion of our rights. It's a removal of our freedoms. Um, if they really cared about safety in the community, then why would they have less paramedics operating in the city um, for the community to serve them with proper PPE and community safety um, when they really cared about their safety in the first? It doesn't make any sense. Like it's so- Nothing makes sense. Nothing right. makes sense. And you, you want to know what I'm upset about is that in all of this, it has been crickets in our legislature. I haven't heard county elected servants come out. I haven't heard even the good mayors that I like. It's crickets. I want to know where our public representatives are, our public servants who are elected to protect our freedoms and to protect our safety and to protect against government overreach. Why are, why are they silent right now? And I'm going to encourage everyone who listens to this on Spotify and who watches this to go to my link um, in my Instagram profile, Rooted Period Wings, hit the live link, and you can find your public representatives there. Start asking them to start speaking against this because it is so dangerous, these games that are being played uh, up in LA, down in San Diego, even up north. We have some more weird stuff like this where it's all under the skies of safety, but it doesn't make sense because what this whole injection is laid out to do is now they're telling us it doesn't even do that, but we're gonna still let go of all these healthcare workers, all these firefighters, police officers, nothing makes sense. And our elected servants better start speaking up because this is unacceptable. This is so, so dangerous. And we're going into fire season. We're going into the winter time when typically you need as many healthcare workers and frontline workers available as you can because of all the winter surges. I am so disgusted at what is playing out right now. Um, and then I wanted to ask you, Josh, because you had posted a few things about actual things that have happened since all of these deadlines went into effect and you were laid off. Um, can you just share with us a couple of examples of 
how this is playing out in real time with all these measures that they are taking right now? Yeah, sure. Uh, so like I said, uh, that midnight, they moved paramedics off of certain rigs. They quarantined them to their own, um, you know, non-vaxxed rig. And so the city was downgraded essentially from ALS resources, which you, on any 911 call, you would get an ambulance and you get a rescue. There's, there's a paramedic on every ambulance, or there's two paramedics on an ambulance and there's one paramedic on, a, on an engine at all times. That's how we've always operated in the city. Well, that night when they downgraded, uh, there were several engines that didn't have paramedics on them. And they kept that operating for the next two days. And we were calling them out because it is dangerous to the community. And also the fact that they were sitting there saying they had the same coverage um, and that, you know, you shouldn't worry about it um, was completely inaccurate. And so I, I had to say something. We got on there and I had friends call me and say, it's just it's crazy what's happening here, what they're doing to us. It's not fair. Um, and the community deserves way better. And we've always put the community above everything else. Our, our whole mission statement is about what's best for the community and what we're going to do for them. And now we're being directed direct, you know, from the fire chief not to respond to EMS calls. Guys were told that specifically and ordered not to respond if you were on the unvaxxed crew. So that was something that was happening real time. Um, and so they would go on these calls. And so there was potential for uh, a rescue to be, you know, held up at the hospital or to be on another call. And so for an engine to get a 911 call and respond, it would only be a BLS engine that would show up as an EMT. So you wouldn't have the advanced life support that you would need um, in the event of, you know, SVT or, you know, high heart rate, or perhaps there would be fib or VTAC and then you'd be shocked. I mean, I mean, they have AEDs, but there's other medications and things that need to be given um, to these patients. And it's just the higher level of care that we've always done. Like, I don't know, we, we deviated from that, which is a total breach of really of our MOU and our contract that we have with the city just because someone's telling the chief that that's what you have to do. It doesn't make any sense. Um, and like I said, and what they're doing now with these guys, it's just unbelievable. Um, they're not letting them work. They're not letting them do their job. They're just sitting around at the station. And I, I you know, in 30 days, these guys are just wondering what's going to happen to them. Um, it's not fair. And it doesn't make any sense. Like you're saying, nothing makes any sense. All these questions come up. For example, um, we, we run a lot of calls with LA city and LA County. They come in for mutual aid. So the question came up, well, what about an LA County rescue that comes out? If our, if our three rescues get busy, they go on calls or they go to the hospital, we do have a fourth rescue that goes out, that's BLS. So we have a county squad comes out with two paramedics on it. Well, is there, there's no vetting process for those guys to see if they've been vaccinated or not, or see if they have exemptions. So they're really putting people you know, at risk really even more. Um, you know, like I said, police officers, uh, we don't know if they're vaccinated or not. And I'm not trying to throw them under the bus. I'm just saying out of fairness and out of their intent. Again, it doesn't make it doesn't make much sense as to what's going on. I'm uh, talking to my friend today. Um, you know, he was saying he just got off work yesterday. He was on the truck, the quarantine truck. There's a medical aid that came out right down the street for a uh, unconscious person. They could have been there. Our typical response time in town is three minutes or less. We're proud of that. Very, very low response time. I mean, you call, we're basically there by the time you get off the phone. They stayed in quarters and a rescue and engine from a couple miles north had to come down. So there was a delayed response time um, because they weren't allowed to respond when the best thing for the patient would have been anybody there. It doesn't really matter at this point. Yeah, get there as fast as you can. Like, who, I, I don't understand what community member honestly would care um, if you had a serious emergency and you call 911, like I would not care who shows up, send me a paramedic is who I want. I don't care what their vaccination status to me. It's really as irrelevant as if you're left-handed or right-handed, like 
Does it matter? No, it doesn't. We want a guy here that's going to help us now. And we have, again, we take precautions to make sure we don't put people at risk. And there is nothing to show that we have put anybody in a pass at risk or we got anybody sick. Like there's, there's no evidence of that whatsoever. And of course we would never want that. Um, well, there's and- no, there's no evidence of that. There's no, no longer any evidence that this injection even prevents the transmission. So you are be, being told your religion isn't good enough. Your religion isn't good enough to give you an exemption under our interrogation. So we are going to mandate that you get an injection that doesn't prevent the dissemination in order to protect society, even though we can't even prove that you would put the society at risk. So we're going to put you on leave of absence unpaid. This, people better start to wake up. People better wake up. What is happening right now is unconscionable and it is so evil and so wrong. And I always say, if it doesn't make sense, then there's something beneath it that makes sense. And that's where we're at right now. People need to start asking really hard questions and our elected servants better start asking really hard questions and pushing back against this because they're putting all of us at risk. They're putting the children down in San Diego at rabies right now at huge risk. They're putting people up in Beverly Hills and LA County at huge risk because no one's pushing back. Everyone's just nodding along and acting like this is normal and it's not normal. This is so wrong and I am so sick of it. And I'm so sorry for what is happening to you and your family. Before we wrap up, I just wanna know, Josh, how and Brittany, how this is affecting you guys personally as a family. I think it's really important to shed light on when you take a step back and you're in your home with your kids and you're looking at, you are holding the line, you're refusing to bend your knee because you do believe you have a very sincerely held faith. And because of that, you are saying, I'm not going to get this injection. How does this look when the doors are closed and it's you and Brittany and your kids looking into the future? Well, <laughs> we, uh, that night that we found out, it, it was been, this has been one of the most difficult months of our lives. I, uh, I physically have been ill from the stress. I've had to come home from work because I was, I was so sick from the stress of this. My wife and I have shed very, many, many tears over this over the last month, and we, there's nothing else we can discuss. It is our constant discussion, so we know our kids have caught wind of it. There was one night where we sat down and we told them, hey, there's a possibility I'm going to lose my job and I'm not going to be a firefighter anymore. And they just kind of looked at me and they were like, okay. But it was my youngest one who was really pulling at the heartstrings because he just looked at me and was like, well, what are you going to do? You know, like, what are we going to do? And it was tough. And he was the one that recently, too, when I found out Friday night, he said, dad, do you know you're fired yet? <laughs> so, I mean, they knew it was coming. It's been a very tough month. But I will tell you that night that we found out, we felt so alone, so empty, so wronged. Um, I mean, so many horrible emotions going through and I could not sleep. And that's when I'm like, I'm getting back on Instagram. I'm reaching out to Jeff and reaching out to whoever I can to share a story. And I don't care. And, and I'm talking about what they're doing to us because it's not right. And as far as I knew, I felt like I was the only one in this position. I'm like, I don't, you know, like I, I didn't know what the other guys had done yet. I heard word of what they were doing, it did, but it didn't really matter. My, you know, Brittany and I have stuck together through this. We knew what we were going to do. We knew this was our hill. Like I said from the beginning, I told some coworkers, like this is the hill I'm going to die on. I'm not, I'm not doing it. I can't do it. It is a moral principle for me now that I have to live by, and we're going to do this. And so that night we went to bed. I got, I got to bed really late, and um, 
there was just this sense of emptiness, you know, and, and, and the fear started to creep in. Like, I'm not going to get another paycheck. We just built a beautiful home with our own hands that we sacrificed so much to get here. It was three years in another trailer to finally build this home with this process. All my buddies at work can tell you how difficult it has been. So we put blood, sweat, and tears in this home. And now it's like it's being ripped away from us along with a lot of other things, my career, the things I love to do. So many different things were coming into my mind. But when we woke up in the morning, I was gonna say he, he <laughs> stayed up late and did his thing, so I leave with her. And I was exhausted. Like we it had been a heck of a day. So I woke up early and I was feeling that way, like just waited down and <clears throat> we opened. Sorry, no, <laughs> All right. So when she opens, uh, she's like, Your phone is blowing up right now, Josh. You gotta look at this. And the last couple of days have been nothing but phone calls and people reaching out and people circling around this. How can we help? What can we do? What do you need? And this has really turned into an opportunity and a blessing to be able to talk to wonderful people like yourself or Jeff or anybody else that I can talk to and share our story. So this doesn't have to happen to anybody else. And so that people will wake up, like you're saying, and call these people and contact these people. And I've noticed changes in certain people close in my life and my close circle who before were kind of on the fence, like, well, I'll just take it to keep my job. Now it's a hard no. They realize that this is an intrusion of our freedoms. They brush aside our religious liberties and they just want to go in here and take and steamroll us and make us do what they want to do instead of actually, you know, giving us our freedoms and letting us live our lives and choose for ourselves. And it's been an amazing outreach. Like I said, the support that we've been getting has been wonderful and amazing and we love it. And we're going to keep sharing our story and keep talking and hopefully we can keep getting people to wake up and act and do something and just be you know, active in their community by calling, you know, a local councilman or reaching out to local government or whoever we have to do so that they can hear our voices and know that we're not okay with this. None of this makes sense and we are not happy with what's happening. And all we want is to, all I want to do is protect the community and serve the way we're supposed to serve. So let's have rules that make sense and follow science and that are logical and that are safe, really safe for the community instead of just saying they're safe. Well, you said it perfectly. That's not too much to ask. You know, that, that's follow the science and allow for the religious liberty that is secured in our Constitution and privacy that's also secured in our Constitution. And that's a full stop. That's, that's where we need to land on this. I want to encourage, too, anyone who's going to watch and listen to this, start sending this to all, all the news networks. I don't care if it's one of the alphabet news networks. Their, their story needs to get out. They need to be on national media so people can see what this actually looks like in real life. I think sometimes we hear the numbers, you know, oh, 1,000 laid off, 500 laid off. And it doesn't, it's not as real as when you actually hear it from people who are being personally affected and who are holding the line and who are walking through this. And it does feel very lonely. And I want to tell you guys right now, you are so far from being alone. There are so many who are standing with you and who are fighting for you and who are going to continue to fight for you. And I'm so sorry for what you are going through, but you are such an inspiration, Josh and Brittany standing by his side. You guys are waking people up. You are encouraging so many to also stand firm for what you believe and to not allow tyranny to continue. Obedience is the fuel to tyranny. And that's what they are after. And you are taking an active resistance stance. And in that you are helping so many, you're helping so many be brave. And I just want to thank you so much for 
your bravery in this and for being so unwavering in this. And you are a hero. And I am so sorry that you are being treated this way. But I have faith in redemption and that this isn't the end of the story. And that's what I'm holding out for. If I didn't have hope in that, I wouldn't be doing this. I would have sold everything, moved my family to a better state. Uh, but I have faith that we are going to find our way back home. But it's because of people like you. It's because of people who are going to stand and hold the line through the discomfort, through the punishment until we can find, until we can find our way back home. So um, the thunder and lightning agrees with us. Tonight. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I just want to bless you guys and honor you guys. Um, I know I asked you earlier, if you have a GoFundMe, you don't yet. If you do get a GoFundMe up, I know there, I've seen the comments going crazy. <laughs> People want to support you. So um, this isn't the last time I want to chat with you both to see how this plays out. Um, but if you get a GoFundMe or anything like that set up, will you please text me so that I can share it with the audience? Absolutely. Yeah, sure. We'll do that. And, and how can people follow your journey? Uh, they can just follow me on Instagram, jsat30, J-S-A-T-T-3-0. Um, and I'm going to be posting, I'm going to continue to post on there, um, trying to expose what they're doing to help protect uh, my friends and my family there so they don't have to go through the same fate that I'm going through right now. We have a big rally tomorrow in Beverly Hills, uh, right in front of City Hall on, on uh, Rexford, right in front of the fire station too. I mean, they're all right connected right there from 10 o'clock to noon. Um, we're hoping to get a really big turnout, so if you can make it, please come down and support us. Uh, support my brother, support the fellow firefighters. Uh, again, it's not just for us. It's for teachers. It's for our kids. It's for anybody who they're trying to force against their will um, and take away our freedoms. That's what this is all about. Um, this is just about our freedoms in, in fighting against tyranny. Um, and we just want to get out there and, sh and share that message. And this is going to be a very peaceful, fun rally. Um, you know, bring your kids. We're bringing our kids. Um, we're going to be there just talking with the community and talking with you guys. And please come out and meet us. We'd be happy to meet you and share stories and swap phone numbers or whatever we can do to support. Any way I can support you. Anyway, I can support your, your fire department, your firehouse, whatever you need. You let me know, too. You can reach out to me, message me. My email is on my um, Instagram. Sorry, Brittany has been my manager with Instagram, so I know what you're doing. But, yeah, reach out, please. And I've been trying to respond to everybody and just share them my heartfelt thank you uh, for your support. Thank, thank you, too, for putting us on here and just allowing us to share our story and get our message out to so many people. This has been a wonderful opportunity. Thank you very much. Thank you guys so much for coming on. And because I saw this in the comments, I'm going to say it right now. Venmo is a great way to go. So what I want you guys to do is text me after this. Give me your Venmo, unless you know it right now, because then you can say it and I can put it on Spotify. Do you have a Venmo? I, I do. I'll, I'll send okay, it to what you. Okay, so I'm going to put that in there because I know people are, they're chomping at the bit right now. They're like, I, I want to send them something. I want to support them. So um, I will post that below in the comments. And then if you guys want to donate to this amazing family, then that will be a great option through Venmo. And then the event is tomorrow, which is Tuesday, October 5th. I'll put all the details in my caption below as well. And um, again, you guys, you are heroes. You're doing the hard work, but the necessary work. I, I really believe we're going to find our way home because of the resistance. We're not going to find it by being obedient and bending our knees. You are so amazing, Josh. You inspire so many. You inspire me. Brittany, you're, you're incredible standing by his side. You really are. 
behind every good man, there's a really, really good woman. So literally, <laughs> thank you both. Yeah, <laughs> literally. Um, do you, uh, Josh, before I leave, I want to give you the last words to just throw some fire under people to encourage them and to stiffen their spine to be the necessary resistance. And then we will say goodbye. We try to play by the rules. We submitted exemptions and look where that's gotten us. They pushed our religious liberties aside and they're just trying to force their will on us. Like I said before, this is the hill to die on. Stand by your morals, stand by your convictions and don't regret the decision of just caving and giving in. Don't do it. Standing up for what is right is hard and it's really, really tough, but I have a sense of peace and Brittany has a sense of peace that has been with us this whole time about this decision. There is a peace and a clarity that comes with making the right decision. Like I said, it doesn't make it easy. There's going to be tears. You're going to feel sick. You're going to get sick. But at the same time, there is a sense of peace at the end. That is the light at the end of the tunnel. It's the peace. I can live peacefully. I can live with my decisions. I know what I'm doing is right. I know I'm being guided in the right direction. And follow that. Follow your heart. Be prayerful. And listen to the, listen to the clarity that you're going to get. That is God's answer to you of what you need to do. And it is, it is the right thing to stand up to this and stand up for all of our rights. It's not just for us. This is for future generations. This is for my children. This is for your children. And we have to stop this now. It started with the masks. Now we're doing vaccines. What's next? What's around the next corner? You can completely disagree with me about vaccines, but this really is about freedom. What is next that you're not going to agree with? Because at some point, you're not going to be okay with this. You need to realize that's what's happening and open your eyes and please, please say something do something. Let's start the conversation. We can start there and then we can take action. Thank you very much again for your time and for this platform. Brittany and I are very grateful um, that you gave this opportunity. And I want to thank everybody out there who's been supporting us and putting their arms around us, uh, literally and figuratively. And anybody who wants to support us too. Um, it's been very difficult and humbling for me um, as a provider of my family to be gracious enough to accept any give outs or anything that I feel like is a give out. I'm going to be um, very gracious. And if you do want to help the cause, it's just going to enable us to stick around in California longer and keep our house and all these different kinds of things at least a little bit longer so we can stay in this fight. I want to stay in this fight as long as I possibly can and be here, be in California and do everything that we possibly can to help. Thank you. Mm. Thank you both so much. I'm going to put your Venmo in the, in the caption below. So go check that out if you're on Spotify, YouTube, or on Instagram. It's going to be down there along with all the event info. And then we are going to um, be keeping up with you to see how this whole thing plays out. But keep holding the line, both of you. And thank you so much for being American heroes. Thank you. We'll see you guys. Bye. Thank you for joining us at the Table of the Resistance on the Rooted Wings podcast.